ポケモンゲットだぜはい。So, Darling and I are going to have a bit of a rotating third chair from now on. Don't fuck it up, Brett. <laughs> We trust you, baby. Don't worry. So, let's start off nice and easy, Brett. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Pokemon and,、uh, you know, what you bring to the table today.、Uh, well, my experience with Pokemon is that I actually first played it in 1995, the Japanese version. One of my, both my aunt and one of my friends actually gave me different versions of the game. So, I had both red and green, not blue, because blue was a rare one that you couldn't,、yeah. get, couldn't get out there. That's、um, great. So, when it first came out in 96, you mean? It was 95. Okay, because they were doing the 20th anniversary、yeah. in 96 in Japan, so that's why I was confused. It, they, they sometimes do that, like with Mega, the Mega Mans. Like,、huh, you notice that they'll, they'll overlap, like, they'll drag on for another year. Yeah, that、uh, green factoid he just dropped in you was the equivalent of correcting somebody that Final Fantasy VI is actually Final、so、Fantasy III. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because they had, they had the red and green initially, and then they had a separate blue version、yeah. uh, that had better sprites, and we got the sprites in red and blue. Are red and blue from the better blue version. Yeah. Is that eventually why they did leaf green? Yeah, that's the reason、yeah. why. They're, they're just, they decided to、uh, just stick with the Japanese structure of things. And they, there should be like a, something online somewhere that, like, tell, that explains like, the differences in versions, like the Japanese one, what trans, transitioned over into the American ones.、Oh, yeah. And it's just, it makes things really confusing in terms of actually trying to actually explain you know, <laughs> what. What was gained and what was lost, so to say. Green is not necessarily our blue. No, different sprites and green. I mean, they have the same Pokemon, identical yeah, Pokemon.、Right. So we have a bit of an expert here. So let's start with a game to test that expertise.、Mm-hmm. I have another、uh, segment of Mon Mom ready for us. Darling, would you like to compete with Mr. Fujioka、oh, this week? Of course, I would、okay. love to. All right, well, here's my mother with a description of one of this week's eight Pokemon. And to remind you all, this week we're going to go through the Nidoran's families,、uh, male and female, as well as Clefairy and Clefable. So here we go. Dumbo is mischievous eyes. This chubby Stegosaurus rat is ready for takeoff. I will name it Tegarat. So, what is her name for it? Stegorat. Stegorat, okay. As in a stegosaurus, except a stegorat.、Huh. Not a saurus, a rat. Yes. Okay. But still a stego. Yeah. Okay, okay. Brett, do you have a guess? Because I, I, I think I might have a guess. I have a guess too.、Um, but you go first. All right. I think it's one of the. I think it's in the Niran male line, but I'm not entirely sure if it's. Nido ran male or Nidorino. I think maybe Nidorino because she does mention that it's chubby, which I have a note here where I just said that the Nidorino and Nidorino line are grumpy, fat, puberty monsters. So do I have Nidorino as your final answer? Yes, I'm going to lock that in. I'm going to go with Nidoran. Nidoran male, female? Male. Male? You are both wrong. <gasps> It is Nidorina. Whoa. Yeah, the Dumbo ears were the giveaway there.、Oh. Nidorino gets、yeah. the longer rabbit like ears. Nidorina、mm. is the one with the more rounded、mm. type of ears. But 
let's let that just lead us right into the discussion of these uh, Pokemon. We're just going to, you know, for the sake of simplicity, we're going to discuss the Nidoran families in tandem, even though there are distinct gender differences. I think that you kind of have to take them hand in hand. Yeah, so they're uh, all counterparts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First, the basics. It, the Nidoran line. So your Nidoran male and female, they're poison type. You first encounter them at Route 22, which is that side route that's just west of Viridian, which has always a little been a little been weird to me. Uh, <laughs> namely, like it's the route that connects Viridian City to Victory Road, but you can access it from the beginning of the game, hmm. and you can find these really low-level Pokemon like your Nidorans, uh, and you can get them there so you can have them for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's weird that they just have this little side area that's already easily accessible, has a bunch of monsters ready to go, and then you come back to it later when it's actually relevant at the very end of the game. And you're killing those poor little level 5 Nidoran with your level 80 Charizard. I mean, I would just use a Repel because why? Why do I even want to bother with these guys? I just wanted my team psyched up for the Victory Road run. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you wanted to waste your PP on those moves? It's like Mickey in Rocky 3 when he keeps setting up all these fights for Rocky that he knows he can win. Like, you're trying to keep the champ hungry and just have him feeling like he's good to go. Mm -hmm. And just interestingly, we've talked about how the Pokedex bounces around the map early on. Like, the ones last week were in Breeding Forest or around Peter City... Now we're going back to basically the start of the game. So that's just weird to me how the Pokedex moves. And mm. then we'll be going to Mount Moon with the Clefairy line. The thing is that also that becomes irrelevant in terms of like the structure of like the map once you start you get the fly function. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean at that point it becomes a classic JRPG in which like you have like all this freedom that sort of diminishes the gameplay slightly at the same time it makes you feel freer and you can actually start exploring like all this stuff that you, and retrace certain parts you couldn't explore early on yeah so one question i have and you know i did find a real world equivalent that this is supposedly based on it's called the hyrax and yet again the yeah. wikipedia page for this will be included in the show notes but i do want to ask you guys because this was always a weird question for me what texture do you think nidoran have like, I always pictured it having kind of like a smooth, scaly texture, kind of like huh. a Gila monster, but I don't know. Is it supposed to be furry, you think? Is it supposed to be spiny and rigid? Like, what have you got? What did you guys interpret from it? I've always thought, like, some fur, but mostly, like, you know, furry spikes. I never saw fur. I always saw, like, a carapace. Like, just throwing it out there, it obviously has some sort of porcupine in him. And. Mm. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Um,. Yeah, the, I mean, an the animals that had to breed together to create that monstrosity <laughs> is just... I mean, there's so many features that are clearly derived from rabbits, but then at the same time, like, you look at the evolved forms, yeah. and they're clearly, like you said, carapace yeah. bodies that are segmented and mm -hmm. exoskeleton -y. Yeah. Well, they're Godzillas. Um, I mean, that thing could have been like a cartoon Zerg easily, you know? <laughs> Cute cartoon Zerg. You know, that... Yeah, like, they've got rabbit in them, they've got field mouse, they've got, uh, yeah, like... They've got porcupine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, a lot. They had a giant orgy with that one. <laughs> yeah, and this is where Darling and I are about to throw down a gauntlet. But I said uh, in preparing for this show that this Pokemon felt always felt dissonant to me as far as like the rest of the Pokedex, where you have like 
So far we've dealt with creatures that are largely inspired by real-world animals, and then we'll eventually get to parts of the Pokedex that are so clearly fantastical mm-hmm. and kind of like whimsical and things like that. But the Nidorans, to me, occupy this weird space that's kind of like mutated and, I don't know, not quite, like doesn't quite carry that wonderlandy whimsy. And I just, you know, I said to Darling that this reminds me of something from Digimon. It feels a little bit more Digimon. Well, my first one about that is that What's interesting is I think these are the first truly fantastical monsters you encounter in that there's nothing, there's no clear reference point. It's not like with all the other ones where it's like, it's a turtle, it's a lizard, it's a rat, it's a little dinosaur with a bulb on its back. Like, you get those. I mean, to wit, we were just debating that we'd feel like they're aspects of other creatures, but it doesn't have as clear an inspiration as other creatures we so quickly settled Mm. on real-world equivalents for. And past episodes leading mm. up to this one. Yeah, but I don't get the Digimon comparison because uh, let's take your old favorite, Duck with Stick. Duck with Stick. Duck with Stick. You have mentioned how it is a very whimsical one. Uh, how you say it, like even Duck with Stick carries a stick. Duck with Stick just feels okay, like Harvey. a throw. Duck with Stick feels like a throwaway character from a failed Looney Tunes short. <laughs> he does look like very WB like. He does. It's very Tex Avery. Um. What I will say about it, about these um, Nidoran and Nidorino or whatever, is I can sort of see the Digimon comparison because something about it just feels really. There's some reptile spliced in there somewhere. Yeah. Thank yes, you. that's yeah, why. Yeah. There, that's why. So there's some dinosaur slash reptile thrown in there, and I'll lead into that in terms of like the name interpretation for like Nidoran, Nidorine, or whatever you know the mm-hmm. next evolution in terms because. Nidorino and Nidorino. Yeah. I think there's still a bit of whimsy to this maybe not whimsy but there's like a fantastical element to it where it's not cuddly like most of the other monsters we've seen so far Mm -hmm. but still it's a little bit more monstery but it's still a little weird and out there but recognizable as something that could exist in the real world unlike uh the digimon equivalent of duck with stick swat team dinosaur with a literal gun or as it's properly known commandermon sorry commandromon which eventually turns into what looks like a gundam suit with fire wings called Darkramon. Point being, I can see how most of these Pokemon fit in the world. What the hell are Digimon? I never watched it. So, I'll dive into a little bit of a fan theory here that there actually is a shared universe theory that (laughs) Digimon are actually corrupted Pokemon that got left in their Pokemon boxes for too long on Bill's computer. Forgot about Bill. Yeah, the other side of it is that, um, you know, I will say that, like, yeah, later Mega Evolutions and, like, you know, Final Evolution Digimon are mecha monstrosities but you know their lower level evolutions are very creature-like and they do kind of like the second stage evolutions that we'll discuss in the Nidoran family do kind of fit in that same art style you know the first stage evolutions I'll say actually like do have that very cuddly feeling and I do really like the Nidoran and female Mm -hmm. and female designs but you know we're dancing around one quick you know fairly big topic that shows that Pokemon is a franchise that has been building the plane as they're flying it to a certain extent Mm -hmm which we talked about a bit in past episode, which is to say that the gendered speciation in these Pokemon is something yes. that they clearly, clearly have just kind of tried to, you know, sweep under the rug and ignore because genders of Pokemon eventually becomes a core asset and aspect of gameplay. Yes. Um, yeah, well, breeding was introduced in Gen 2, and that's why in Gen 1 we have this weirdness with the Nidorans, where in future generations we will see Pokemon where there are male and female versions that look clearly different, but they are still that same Pokemon. 
and there will be gender-based evolution, like a Nidorino, a Nidorina, but it's not done where, well, the male type is number 73, and the female is number 72. Mm-hmm. So, so they make them like they're distinct species or whatever, almost. Well, I mean, also well, because they do evolve well, into distinct species. They make species. these yes. distinct species. Yeah. But even, uh, even in later generations where they have, like, if it's a male, it'll turn into this. If it's female, it'll turn into this. The base species is just one entry. You know what I think would be actually one of the most woke things that they could do in the Pokemon franchise beyond just letting you choose your player be a boy or a girl? Nidoran non-binary? There we go. Let's have a male and female Nido King. Let's have male and female Nido Queen. Mm. Yeah. If they are distinct species. And, you know, there's a lot of weird nuances and, like, gameplay things that come in with the fact that they are distinct gendered species. Mm. Which is the fact that, like, you know, their shinies of each one is the opposite one's color. So Mm -hmm. the male shiny Nidoran is uh, the color of the female shiny. Apparently, this is from Bulbapedia. The Japanese word ran is translated as orchid in English. Orchids are flowers that can be purple or blue, these being the same colors as the male and female evolutionary forms of Nidoran, respectively. Yeah. I mean, my opinion on that one is it seems like a little bit of a stretch. I think, like, uh, some fans probably had, you know, have a base familiarity in uh, Japanese language and probably went with um, just made that observation even though I don't think there's any relation at all between like its actual name and um, how it's conceived because like who the heck gets orchards and like a mutant rabbit porcupine <laughs> pig swine thing um, orchids can be poisonous I uh, don't uh, think that, so wait can they I, I'm not a biologist that might be that might be a possible plant you know poison editor's note Orchids are not poisonous to humans. In terms of like the name, something about it always struck me as like kaiju-like. Doesn't huh. it sound like a kaiju name? You no. Know, well, when you get to like Nido Queen, Nido King, definitely. Yeah, but like Nido Ran, and that yeah. sort of that sort of. I mean, once it got to like, I mean, it would make more sense if it was like if they had like the Ran at the end of it, like uh, when it was fully evolved, because that's when it starts to look more kaiju-like. So. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I that's can just easily my see Godzilla versus the Nido King. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, it's buried under some forest in, like, northern Japan, and then it awakens to challenge Godzilla. Mm-hmm. All right, so I so I do want to move on to the Nido King and Nido Queens explicitly because mm-hmm. I love those Pokemon, but do we have any closing notes on the first two stages of either gender evolution? Oh, well, I've got a bit more I want to say about, like, Please. the second stage. But first, like, interesting thing, in every game that has breeding, Nidoran female is the only one in its line that can breed. Like, Nidoran female can produce all the little baby Nidoran you need. The Nidoran male line, like from male to king, can breed with dittos. But Nidorina and Nidoqueen can't do anything. They're in the undiscovered egg group. Hmm. And I just want to know, what's that about, Game Freak? Hmm. Why, as soon as the little lady gets older, evolves, She's not fertile anymore. I find that kind of weird. There is something to be said for that in the real world where, you know, you can have hybrids of horses and donkeys and the hybrid species can't produce offspring. Mules cannot produce offspring. The secondary form can't breed either. It's just Nidoran female. So the minute it evolves, like, oh, can't breed, doesn't know how. Very strange to me since that's like, I always interpret the lowest form as kind of the child form. Yeah, that's a little bit weird. That's a good point in terms of like the lowest form being the child form. That one could you know fuck, and the others can't. I mean, and so if I knew we're we had you on for a reason, Brett. Yeah, I so, mean, I'm, I'm, no, sorry, I'm offended by that. Actually, I'm really disgusted <laughs> on, by hang that. On, hang on, I do want to point something out. That do we really think that Pokemon evolve as a matter of longevity or a matter of skill and strength? Because 
Pokemon can live, apparently, in Verdian Forest for ages, and for the over the course of your game, and never get beyond level 5. Yeah, and Wait, a Magikarp can, that lives to be like a thousand can jump over mountains. Wait, have we have they established yet whether or not there's like a, I mean, what what's the life expectancy uh, for Pokemon? They have they ever established that on the show, by the way? I don't believe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something. Does I'll... anything die in Pokemon? Yeah, they all just freaking faint. <laughs> like yeah. Dreams. Yeah, yeah. No, those are somehow still alive. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. I mean, or boy Brock finally got a lady. Remember? Yeah. He yeah. The got dream a is alive. Yeah. Does that mean that Brock has gotten older to some extent? Is there some? acknowledgement of time passage in uh, the show or is ash still 12 well, well ash is half pokemon so oh, well. yeah I, I just noticed that the, I, I finally looked it he's up he's in his teens the others aren't yeah brock was always i think uh was always a couple years older than ash, yeah, yeah. A few years older than ash from the get-go which makes total sense as to why he falls in love with every woman he meets and not misty yeah, yeah. misty is ash's age so that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit of credit i mean his for part. his i mean to his credit he at least never acted like a freaking skis about that stuff you know like uh filthy filthy teenager or whatever it was all about misty's sisters in the cerulean gym episode yeah though. i think that's they're in like an adult age though i think weren't they yeah i do remember ash kind of i do kind of remember a moment in the show where ash was looking to brock for some advice and brock was just too thirsty for the uh, cerulean gym leaders yeah, yeah. So. he likes them older apparently okay moving on <laughs> all right so so i'm gonna start on uh with my first comment on the design for the Nido queen which is that it's weird to me that we have a pokemon with clearly identified bikini characters yeah that was yeah she, she had like a really weird medieval breastplate for you know gender specific breastplate thing yeah, but going on also a like, bikini bottom like, I never noticed that part, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It comes out of nowhere. The Nidorina and female baby Nidoran don't have any kind of indication, yeah. except for like oh. a difference in color and ear shape. But yeah, yeah. why uh, the heck doesn't why the heck doesn't Nido King have a cod piece, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I'd like to jump back for one moment. Yeah. Uh, Nidorino is very important, though. You know why? Mm-hmm. Because Nidorino and Gengar are the first Pokemon you see when you boot up the game. Mm. Did you get that little cutscene oh, yeah. where you see the two monsters fighting, kind of like the Good two point. randos who are boxing at the beginning of Street Fighter? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, but you don't see Gengar until much, much later. You might never see him because you don't, um, yeah, well, you not know. until, like, the very end, like, the very, very end. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Agatha. Yeah, she fight. might be the only one that actually has it. You, yeah, yeah, check it's, it. It's a Link Trade. Yeah, yeah, so. that's, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about that game is that's like one of those games in which you have to actually really um, socialize in order to actually get stuff. You can't be just that weird, I don't know, Taku just like sits at home all day and just does that crap or whatever. So that is an interesting matchup because you have a poison type against a poison ghost type. Yeah. If we're really getting into the like nitty gritty of it. But what is the uh, what are the power of dark moves against ghost types? Yeah, dark is super effective against ghost so double damage okay so the interesting thing in that matchup but this is obviously a retcon of mm-hmm. Nidor- of Nidorina's and Nidoran's capabilities and things like that but they can learn dark type moves oh yeah like bite yes so even if they're not dark type they do have some kind of a skill and advantage against the ghost type so that is a more interesting matchup than it was mm-hmm. in the original game yeah. but you know there's a lot to be said we're talking about a bit of retconning today mm-hmm. with the genderfication of yeah. these Pokemon. And, and we'll get more when we get to Clefairy in a moment, but mm-hmm. we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, like, Nidorino is significant because it is the first Pokemon, alongside Gengar, that you see when you play Red or Blue. 
So the big thing I have in terms of, you know, I mentioned that this is clearly a plane that's being built along the way, and the big thing that I wanted to discuss in relation to these guys is what you all think about narratives that, you know, are being executed in progress, the kind of serialized form where the world expands as we reach each horizon versus stories where there's clearly a plan from the beginning. And Pokemon is not that story. Of course. But it is clearly so successful despite. I tend to prefer the pre-built story. And I just want to hear your guys' thoughts. The major examples I bring up are, you know, Lost and Breaking Bad. We've already referenced Breaking Bad, but Lost is probably the more famous example of this mm. where that narrative was being designed as it was being written and yes. as the episodes were being written. Yeah, like, they didn't know when they'd have their final season until, like, during season three, they finally reached that deal with ABC. Like, listen, give us like this many seasons, and then we want to end it. Yeah, I thought I mean, part of that deal was that they was that also they put ABC on like a certain amount of like tender hook, saying that we could end it within three episodes at any given moment, mm. like when we decide to, when mm. we decide that we've hit a narrative wall. But we know how it's going to end at this point, and we will end it within three episodes of once we give you that <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah, mm. but well, seasons. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. One thing I want to throw out there while we're on the topic of narratives is that actually uh, Pokemon has like a, a link to like the Earthbound series. Like a lot oh, of, the, yeah, a lot of the developers ended up go, moving on to that project after uh, mm. Earthbound was done, which this is just speculation on my part is one of the reasons why the trainer actually sort of has a whole baseball cap and just whatever oh. attire yeah. similar to Ness's. Okay. Um, I've never thought about that. Yeah, like, yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, if you look at like the sprites, it feels really. They, I mean, for the earliest games, it feels very Earthbound esque. Huh? I've never seen Earthbound because Earthbound was always like slightly on an angle. Yeah. Uh, but I think more like closer to like uh, the Zelda top-down games. So like uh, Link to the Past or for the Game Boy, Link's Awakening. Yeah. I mean, at least that's like the that's the that's the very very credible rumor I've heard. Yeah, I I've just that's noticed it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, that might be an idea for us to research further uh, yeah. later on and pick out specific names for the people that went over, you know? Yeah. yeah. Reminds me, when they announced that Mewtwo was going to be in Smash 4, yeah. like, coming back as DLC, they had a funny image on there, on the website, of Ness with a Pokeball approaching Mewtwo. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, I don't want to watch Ness be a Pokemon trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, go going back to, like, narratives and all that, like, we're... I think we're approaching the level right now in which they're running out of like uh, sources because every every single world actually has like a continent, continent or place of exper mm -hmm. of um, inspiration. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is going to happen when we uh, run out of places to actually you know mm -hmm. base them on? There's a mm -hmm. whole big world out yeah, there yeah. ready. I mean, yeah, there's only true, been true. seven games. I mean, because it might even get to a point where Pokemon in China, Korea, yeah. maybe mm -hmm. um, India. Italy. Yeah, yeah. The I mean, safari, Africa. I mean, yeah. we've had a safari zone. Yeah, we had France. That was We've only had like four regions based on Japan. Yeah, yeah. They then, ended up. Uh, they ended up expand. Yeah, they expanded. Yeah. It's like different. Yeah, I yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Then New York. Yeah. France and Hawaii. They haven't done Los Angeles yet, yeah. have they? Well, no. No, we have not had urban urban Pokemon except for Pokemon Go, if you want to count that. But. Yeah. You know, what I, the thought that occurred to me while I was considering this whole thing about the fact that we, from a game's perspective, we take these games generation after generation, going from region to region with all these different real-world inspirations, um, and that there is a difference between building a narrative as you're going, as I referenced with Lost, and mm -hmm. a difference between building a world as yeah. you hit each mm -hmm. horizon. And so, 
when you're building a narrative, that's why I think after the first two seasons of Pokemon, when Ash flamed out in the Pokemon League for the first time and finished 16th in that first go, if I remember correctly, and then went back to Professor Oak to kind of lick his ego and lick his wounds, um, he then found out, and we all looked at this with a certain amount of skepticism, that, oh, why don't you go to the Johto League? And he kind of looked at everybody like, Johto? You mean that country right next door? What's that? And we're all like, how much of an idiot are you? Um, to be, to be fair. fair. I mean, yeah, yeah. You go first, dude. To be fair, he's a 12-year-old who spends all his time hunting Pokemon. Yeah. He dropped, he's a high school drop. well, a middle school dropout. He doesn't know geography. He's a middle school dropout who didn't know what a Pidgey was, even though there were Pidgey right outside his window all 12 yeah. years of his life. To be fair, I did not know that even certain states or regions of the United States existed until like about five or six years ago. Five or six years ago? Well, I again, didn't know anything about these regions. Let's put it that way. Once again, I knew they I'd existed. Like, I didn't know anything about them. Once again, I'd like to introduce our noted expert of the day, Brett Fujioka. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and please, please, please. I need an example now. Please explain. Most specific example. I didn't know. Like, the, I couldn't. I mean, I knew they existed. I just couldn't tell what the cultural fucking difference between like the Pacific Northwest, the Midwest, uh, and California. Just, I lived in fucking California my entire life, guys. Give me a break. It's so like its high. own country. Okay, so he's a liberal coastal elite, yeah, folks. Yeah. So, darling, back to the narrative building and world building points from the American geography. Let's get back into Pokemon and world building geography. Um, I think this is, you know, to make this kind of the Digimon episode, because those are always kind of like the Pepsi and Coke of our younger years. Hmm. Um, Digimon. I, mean, I don't think there was anyone who was... Did you know anyone who was a hardcore, like, Digimon is the better one as a kid? I wouldn't I, say better. I love them both, though. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, did you know anyone who was distinctly like, I'm on team Digimon. Pokemon sucks. I had one friend from high school really? who did. Um, his reason being is because he was more invested in the show. And I have to admit that the show had, oh, like, a better... Yeah. Had a more intriguing narrative on a relative scale mm -hmm. than uh, Pokemon. Because Pokemon... It, it felt a lot like Transformers and Power Rangers in the sense that it was a. Uh, it felt like an advertisement for like uh, games mm -hmm. and toys. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, speaking to looking back on Digimon, and I think it was available on some streaming service a year or two ago, maybe Hulu, maybe Netflix, mm -hmm. but I went back and I rewatched the first season, and there's just so much heart there, but I realized yeah. that, you know, speaking to what I just said about world building versus narrative building. You know, you can only drag a narrative on for so long before it starts to get tired, and One Piece being the exception that proves the rule. Um, you know, Digimon's narrative was so character-focused, so relationship-focused, it was so character-arc-focused that it did have to end at a certain point and then move on to other characters, and there are some great movies that yeah. have come out recently in the Digimon world as later continuations of the characters now that they're grown up and growing up. Yeah. Um, but those are very character focused. They haven't been able to expand the horizons of the world they've created in the same way that Pokemon has to create the successful franchise of games that they have. And granted, there are Digimon games coming out, yeah. but they're not nearly the kind of blockbusters that the Pokemon games are. Yeah. Pokemon focusing its games and its main, even the story with Ash, even the arcs with Ash, are focused on following the world building that's happening. Ash is just a dumbass medium and conduit for it. Um, I think that's why Pokemon has had the longevity it's had, whereas Digimon hasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Pokemon is always evolving. Yeah. And exploring different regions of the universe. And there's always room where they could be like, well, let's 
spin the globe, find a spot, and see what we can do with Pokemon there. So, to circle way back from the far limits that we've gone to, to Nido King and Nido Queen, these are now the second and third Pokemon that require stone evolutions. Yeah, um, yeah. interesting, the Moonstone, and they gain a ground type, which makes them the first ground type Pokemon that we encounter in the decks, as well as, fascinatingly, the only poison slash ground combo. Yeah, and it's a little bit weird because I'm surprised that with the Moonstone thing, in Generation 1 there was no fairy type, and we're about to get to that a little bit, mm -hmm. but I'm surprised they didn't retcon with the other retcons of like adding types or changing types. We're going to come up on some Pokemon mm -hmm. who cha outright change typing yeah. later on as types are added. I'm surprised they didn't retcon the Nido King and Nido Queen types to have a fairy typing or something like that on them as opposed to the ground typing, well, especially with the Moonstone evolution. Yeah, well that's the interesting thing, is that when they have added or changed types, it's only been normal. Like, normal's the only type that has lost Pokemon, uh, because they become fairy, or maybe a Pokemon might be, like, a normal, basic Pokemon, and then when it evolves, it'll turn into something else. Like, uh, Bidoof, when it evolves, it gains a water type. I feel like they're less uh, willing to take a, let's say, major type. So ground, for instance, like basically any type that isn't normal and make that something else. Well, just off the typing thing, for some reason I never knew they were ground until like a couple years ago, which in hindsight makes perfect sense because they were in Giovanni's gym. Yeah. Like, I don't know why I didn't realize that, but yeah. I mean, my only comment on like the ground element in general is that I can never find a good use for it because like rock was always like the sturdier version of it in terms mm -hmm. of like defense yeah. well it's got it has the electric resistance yeah. or just immunity like that's the one thing ground has going for it that rock doesn't yeah. and i think ground versus rock you also are dealing with pokemon that on average have better speed yes um and better special defense i believe um, we'll that but that being said um my closing question on these two pokemon for you gentlemen is a two-parter which one of these would you prefer to have on your team? And which one of these would you prefer to hug? Of the queen or the king? Yeah. Well, I mean, when it comes to the hug, I think maybe Neo Queen, because here's what it says in Ruby and Sapphire's Pokedex for Nidorina. When Nidorina are with their friends or family, they keep their barbs tucked away to prevent hurting each other. This Pokemon appears to become nervous if separated from the others. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a very loving, nurturing, look at all of these normal, like, feminine... Uh, indicators uh because you know even pokemon is incredibly gendered and you know, hmm. this is the gender studies person in me right now who's just like why why must it be that way why okay brad for but me Nido queen for the hug yeah <laughs> it's, it's a choice between neo queen and Nido king just to double check and not yep. with the others we okay. haven't gotten um, to clefairy and clefable yet go Nido, go with neo queen because that that one is somehow less spiky than like Nido king Nido king just looks like a just like mm. he's full of rage and and we're in perfect concert i would absolutely yeah. have mm. needle queen on my team because i believe needle queen has the higher base stats average huh. and mm -hmm. also uh yeah i would just love to hug a needle i just queen. want to add one of the thoughts we talked about how the crazy dna stew that you have to create to get these pokemon so we've got a little bit of rhino in there also and then some gorilla i'd say as well I agree completely. Yeah, agree. There's some hominid inside of it, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's weird. Those are weird monsters. I like them. I like that these are the first ones that you're just like, what is that? I don't know how to recognize it. But yeah, they're weird ones. 
So this is going to be probably the first of many that we have in this series of podcasts, but something of a retraction this episode, or rather a correction yeah. of ourselves, which is that we speculated a little bit lightly that we did not feel like Pikachu was originally intended to be the mascot of the franchise, and then we researched this episode and found out Pikachu was not originally intended to be the mascot <laughs> of this mm-hmm. franchise. That is our lead into Clefairy, who Ken Sugimori originally designed to be the face of the franchise. Mm. He was supposed to be Ash's first Pokemon in that first episode, and then a last-minute, unspecified change led to Pikachu. Yeah. Uh, So Clefairy. uh, Fairy type, but with an asterisk. Because up until Gen 6, it was just a normal type. It was absolutely nothing. It was plain old, boring, colorless, normal Pokemon. Uh, But then when they add the fairy type in Gen 6, they took a bunch of older Pokemon, like Clefairy, and thought, let's Spruce it up a little. This one's now a fairy type. And yeah. you first find these little dudes at Mount Moon. Yeah, and this has always led to like an interesting thing about Pokemon subtyping. Because subtyping is something I've never paid attention to. And so, again, having had my gap in the Pokemon games that I had, you know, I played up until like Ruby or Sapphire and then had this multi-year gap where I'm now getting back into it and discovering that some Pokemon have been retconned in terms of typing, and then new typing has been added, like the fairy typing. Mm. You know, it just seemed... I thought... The first time I heard about somebody referring to fairy typing and getting back into Pokemon recently, I thought that was just them referring to a subtype. I didn't realize it had been made a major, you know, mega archetype. Well, what's funny is, like, Snubble over in Gen 2, that has always been, like... You know how it'll be, like, the fire Pokemon. Well... Mm-hmm. Or a bad example, like the mouse Pokemon or something like that. Yeah. Snubble, when it was released, is the fairy Pokemon, which, if you look at that thing because it's a bulldog in a dress, there's nothing about that that screams fairy to me. But because of that, they had to make it fairy type exactly. in Gen 6 and later. And I mean, even to me, like, you know, are we gonna, am I gonna play Pokemon Generation 18 and is there gonna be an onion type Pokemon because of Celebi? <laughs> But we'll get to that in, I don't know, 20 episodes, because I have thoughts on Celebi. But but we got to get through all of Gen 2 first, also. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. We've got the momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess the major thing, because I think Clefairy's design is just so obviously fairy, I don't think there's a whole lot to discuss about it, yeah. because it's so boring, really, for what it's trying to be. Mm. I want to play a hypothetical game here for the Clefairy section. And get your each of your thoughts on where the fran- where you think the franchise would be today. Pokemon. Where would mm. Pokemon be if that original plan had gone through with Clefairy being Ash's Pokemon? And Clefairy as we know it being the design for that partner. Because let's face it, a lot of the success of this franchise is because of the show. Mm. Um, let's say Pokemon Yellow, instead of Pikachu as your partner, had been the normal type Clefairy. Pokemon Pink, perhaps. Yeah. Pokemon Fuchsia, Pokemon Salmon, Pokemon Nantucket Red, whatever color they needed to market it as to make it comfortable for American children. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, well, let's say they suddenly decide for some reason to make it white instead of pink. Even that. Then yeah. we wouldn't have Pokemon Black and White. Because, this is true. Yeah. That's true. Good well, point. as the kids on the internet say, go off, King. What do you think? Other thing, too, is that um, I think the game would still be popular. It's just that there wouldn't have been much attention without Pikachu because, like, He's a mascot for it, so... Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I think Pikachu seems like it has a lot more personality. Like, you can do a lot more with Pikachu, whereas Clefairy, you look at it and you're like, that's adorable. That looks like the cutest little thing, and I'm going to hug it and love it and everything. Which makes perfect sense why it's the Poké Doll. Like, the Poké Doll mm-hmm. in games, 
looks like a Clefairy, probably because that was originally going to be the mascot. Uh, but I think the thing here that would have kept it unpopular, like, I think if Clefairy had been the Pokemon mascot, it would not be popular among middle school boys in 1998. Exactly. Because they were going to look at it, and they, this is not an opinion I share, I want to make that clear, they are going to look at it and go like, what is that shit? That seems like it's for girls. I'm not playing that. Well, Pikachu, again, you know, I said last week that they really captured, and yes, the pun was intended, darling, that Pikachu captured lightning in a bottle. Mm. Um, which is that Pikachu is just cute enough to appeal to everybody that wants something yeah, cute to look bothered. at, but just fierce enough. Like, you know, you listen to even just the voice of Pikachu, which Clefairy cannot pull off. There is no fierce Clefairy voice where you actually feel like this is a badass Pokemon. Pikachu, on the other hand, in the first episode jumps off of Ash's shoulder, shouts Pikachu, which up until that moment had been said in very cute tones, mm -hmm. but it jumps off his shoulder and just has its Dragon Ball Z Super Saiyan moment <laughs> where it calls down a thunder blast and mercs, what? What did we do the official count at, darling? Like 600 Spiro, 700 Spiro? I'm, I'm totally Donald Trumping the numbers right now. Yeah, I don't think we actually had a count. I'm pretty sure every single episode I reference this, I'm just going to increase the number from the last time I reference it. So we're at 700. All the Spiros in the world. Yeah, and I'll misspell Spiros in the uh, in the episode description, just like our supposed president. Um, in case you were wondering where the Pokemon podcast sits politically, that was your hint. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I think it goes. My personal take on this is that it goes the way of Digimon to a certain extent. Hmm. I think that it doesn't quite capture the engagement it does. I think the show would have been canceled long ago. I don't think it would have maintained a following. But I think we would still be getting games, but they'd be received, you know, they just wouldn't have that cultural immersion where you know, an event like Sun and Moon is so widely known to everybody. Like, darling, I know that there was a Digimon game that came out last year. Did you? No. Exactly my point. And I think that's where Pokemon would be if we'd had that alternate universe. Mm. Well, although... There is a small difference in terms of who makes these games, whereas it's, what, Namco Bandai who owns the Digimon license? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, those are so still, they still yeah, publish games that still, get wide yeah, recognition. they're a big name, no doubt about it, but they're a third party, whereas, like, Pokemon does have all the branding force of Nintendo, so I think it would either be, like, this is a thing that they uh, would have canceled if Red and Blue were not successful, hmm. or it's a thing that they maybe would have, like, occasionally gripped out something like it would be like sub metroid yeah i think we'd mm. still be seeing pikachu and smash games but it'd be as kind of like a more winking nudge nudge reference yeah. well it would have been clefairy fans that timeline oh yeah that too good call man those guys in that alternate timeline really have it bad mm. but hey because pikachu is a solid smash character i mean darling you said that you main pikachu right uh no i'm more of a link main okay gotcha yeah your Smash Brothers main? Ness. Ness? Of course. Of course. Because <laughs> um, you are Ness. And my Smash main is watching from the couch. Because <laughs> I am not a Smash player. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the fairy type a bit. Because mm -hmm. fairy is interesting since they added types in Gen 2 and then it seemed like that was it. They were just going to keep it at 17 and then out of nowhere, Gen 6, X and Y, here comes the fairy type, making 18 types. Uh, and... Very interesting because it's great against fighting. It's great against dark. Like it's got some good advantages. Uh, great against dragon as well. Mm. Like in my playthrough of Gens six and seven, I've always had a at least partial fairy type Pokemon just so I can get rid of all of those annoying dragons. 
Uh, and so it's interesting because they thought, like, we still need to balance this out, like, 15, 18 years later. We still mm -hmm. need to balance out the, um, the type chart. You know, I think that the advantages that you just listed off just all speak to, let's think about the kind of people who might reject Clefairy out of hand mm -hmm. just because of its look and its adorableness. Mm -hmm. And let's make it strong against all the types that a person like that would pick. Oh my God, you're right. Oh, that's so funny. I never even thought about that. Yeah, it's honestly just meant to be that like, <laughs> cute kid that just subtly whomps the bully without mm. even breaking a sweat. Yeah. My yeah. one issue is the dragon. I mean, there's also that... Um, I mean, they're obviously driving this from mythology by making it strong against dragon, too. Mm. There's some factor in mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And you had some interesting notes on mythology for us as far as yeah. fairies and uh, certain things. So. Yeah, my um, one comment on it, we were, all of us were initially baffled at, or confused as to why... Steel was strong against fairy. Um, then we did some research and found out that... Please, you did some research. Yes, I did some research. Uh, I just... What came to mind is there was an episode of Gargoyles in which it was real, revealed that um, King Oberon was actually weak against iron. And, the mythological king of the fairies. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. And I wondered why, and then I looked it up, and we found out that there's actually uh, iron and folklore. Uh, more specifically, cold iron actually repels fairies in uh, European folklore. Do we have any idea why it's weak to poison as well? That part, I'm not, I don't know. That'd be interesting to figure out. I, yeah. yeah, I can, I mean, I've definitely heard the iron and fairies and elven folk from, yeah. you know, the other side of the veil, so to speak, being weak to iron. Um, and that's something that's brought up in a lot of fantasy literature even to this yes. day, but mm -hmm. Terry Pratchett lever leveraged it in some of his writings. Um, Name of the Wind, a great series by Patrick Rothfuss. If you haven't gotten into it, I strongly recommend it. Join me in having read two of the best fantasy books ever and dying for the past 10 years waiting for the third and final edition because mm -hmm. we don't know when it's coming out. This guy is on the same level as George R. R. Martin. Um, but that being said, yeah, there is a basis in folklore, in long-standing folklore. So this yeah. is yet another... You know, we've talked about how typing weaknesses and strengths have come from these sort of real-world influences, like psychics, weaknesses, bugs, fear. Well, bugs, dark, and the ghost. I kind of gave it away. These are all, like, big mm -hmm. human fears. Mm-hmm. And something that undermines, like, your rational thought or psychic ability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and naturally, psychic, strong against fighting because mind over matter. Yeah, and so now we're seeing an odd twist of folklore mm. in terms of, you know, the iron and then also the fact that fairies would be strong against dragons, mm. which you wouldn't expect if you pictured a fairy tale fairy mm. and a mean, scary dragon, yeah. but mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the irony of it. Yeah, and not just strong, but also takes no damage from dragons, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing about Clefairy, there's a delightful event in Gold, Silver, and Crystal as well as the remakes. Uh, where if you go to Mount Moon on a Monday night, you will see a couple of Clefairies dancing. And they'll initially just be doing some weird Clefairy ritual until they notice you and then run away. And if you go and investigate the Pokeball that drops after... No, uh, the rock that is there that you have to smash, you will find a Moonstone. Mm -hmm. And so I love that there's this weird little thing that you just have to know about. You have to find it and you witness this weird bit of just lore... Uh, and that's something that they haven't really done that often in the games, just having this little unmentioned hidden event 
that also comments on like, hey, this Pokemon's a little weird. We know it. We're not saying what the deal with it is. For 20 years, they've been hitting like it might be from space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a fun little event in the games. And I love that they have that as a detail, as a thing you can experience. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, I was going to kind of, I had this theory that I was floating until I realized that you can only evolve a Nido Queen and Nido King also with a Moonstone. But I was wondering if Clefairy, because in the show they established pretty clearly that these are aliens hmm. that somehow landed on Earth from the moon, um, I wondered. You know, so these are kind of like octopi. Like, there is this theory that octopi might have been the result of an evolution from some kind of extraterrestrial species because their evolutionary track, in terms of how their eyes are evolved, how so many of their nervous systems are evolved, and just the overall capabilities and structure of an octopus, is so unlike and unrelated to any other evolutionary line on Earth. Kind of weird, and there has been speculation that you know, joking speculation hmm. that the octopus probably came from an alien speciation line that evolved separately from everything else on Earth. So it's weird that there is that kind of parallel with Clefairy and Clefable, that mm-hmm. like here is a species that we're just straight up saying is an mm-hmm. alien mm-hmm. that came down to Earth and then evolves into Clefable after it meets a bit of stone from its home planet. Mm, yeah. um, but that, that stone also does have an effect on species that are originally on our planet as yeah. well. The Moonstone's weird because it's only four monsters, at least in the original games. Uh, the two Nido ran evolutions, and then Clefairy and Jigglypuff. And the question I have for Jigglypuff, do you know if Jigglypuff require the Moonstone to evolve? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other question that I have for you, especially because I asked this with the Nidoran family and related to some of the response to the Detective Pikachu episode, uh, trailer, what texture do you all think Clefairy are? Oh, that's a good one. I, yeah, see, I this is... Thought, I feel like they're, like, smooth, but in kind of, like, a soft way. Like, so you're picturing, like, a marshmallow texture? We're getting a little ahead to what I'm going to say for Mon Mons, but yes... Okay. Um, appetite, sorry, but yes. For latex? Latex. I was I gonna... Latex more for Jigglypuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Clefairy, I think it's like, there's a softness to it. It's plush. So yeah. I will say that I thought it was straight up furry, and this is why, like, I was a little bit surprised by some of the response to the Detective Pikachu trailer, where people were surprised and a little bit horrified that Jigglypuff was so furry. The game straight like, up say it's got balloon texture. Yeah, I know. We'll get to that. We'll save that discussion for the uh, for the episode. For literally next week. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, let's let that lead into Mon Mods. Uh, reminder for this section, this is the section where we go through the Pokemon of the week. We'll pick a family, an individual Pokemon, and we'll make one change that we think improves it. Whether that change is design, typing, uh, you know, some kind of look, whatever it might be, to the family, to an individual one change that mm-hmm. you think improves the Pokemon of the day. Um, so, Darling, you already hinted at yours, please. Did I, though? No, I hinted at my Mon Appetit. Oh, my yeah, bad. My, my bad. mistake. Yeah, I corrected it, but it's okay. Um, I think I would just do something a little controversial. They're never going to do this, obviously, but I would just squeeze the two Nidorans into one Pokemon entry. So, it's like Pokemon number, where are we now, 20... Nine? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, both of those would be Nidoran. Bingo. The end. Hmm. Uh, and the male Nidorans become Nidorino, the females become Nidorina. Hmm. Yeah, for me, I would change uh, Clef- Clefairy's design 
eliminate that weird curl that's on his or her forehead. It just looks really weird and always bothered me because it's otherwise a it's an otherwise cute Pokemon. Yeah, and that's what leads me to think that Clefairy is furry, also mm. because the, you know, and I mean this is the limitation of animation, especially a weekly animated show, but and the sprites and everything like that is that it's hard to distinguish if and where fur and flesh. Yeah, flesh, meat, don't meat, and or just is all fur. Um, but you know, darling, I I know that I had an idea in my notes that was very simple around the texture, but you just inspired me into something, which is that this is another week we do not have mega evolutions. No. So my change this week would be to create an agendered Nidoran, Nidorai mega evolution where hmm. both of them evolve into a non-gendered mega huh. Nidoremperor. Nido Nido deity. Nido monarch. Nido sama. <laughs> Nido sama. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So they would both share a mega evolution. Yeah, the mega evolution is agendered. That's clever. I like that. I like that. And it's green. So do they combine together and do like that weird fusion dance? From no, like... they don't do the fusion dance. But okay. both of them evolve into the very same Pokemon. Okay. Okay. They're not the Wonder Twins. Yeah. So where is like thinking and... of Dragon Ball? But... Okay. And it's kind of a playoff. Speak anime. And this is kind of a play off the fact that certain other Pokemon have two Mega Evolutions. Like, we already talked about Charizard with its two yeah. Mega Evolutions. Yeah, Charizard's got two also. Yeah. So, in this case, we would be talking about two Pokemon that are different genders of the same species, however you want to word mm. that, that evolve into the same Mega Evolution. I like evolution. that. That's mm -hmm. good. That's good. Okay. Yeah. So, that being done, we move into our next section, which is Mon's World. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. This is my okay, so I'll start off this time because my idea is very simple. Uh, <laughs> I just think that in terms of the real world, the only thing that we would see a Nido King or a Nido Queen with, unfortunately, is in pictures that Donald Trump Jr. poses on his next safari adventure mm -hmm. as his trophy catch that he bravely hunted down and fuck that guy. Man, yeah, there would be Facebook posts about the guy who killed Cecil the Nido King and then no one would say anything about the poor unarmed black man who was murdered that week. We yeah. just got political here. It happens. Of course, and sure as hell no one will go viral on Twitter. Hmm. That's my thing. Big safari game. I don't think that yeah. they're really... I don't think they're typing, you know, darling, you've brought yeah. up that Sandslash last week was useful for construction, but I don't think I see that with the Nido King and Nido Queen. Like, sure, they're strong and ground types, but I don't see the kind of same digging or, you know, capabilities. Like, every Pokemon is strong, sure, mm -hmm. but I don't think that necessarily lends them to being in a urban area helping out in high-danger construction zones, for example. Yeah, I don't think any of these really have a purpose, quote-unquote, in like society. Mm -hmm. I think they're just, you know, they're animals. They're out there. I'm sure the Clefairies are planning something. They're planning our demise as we speak. Yeah, but it's going to be adorable. I think maybe Clefairies would be a favorite classroom pet. Mm, yeah, yeah. Brett? Mm, I don't know about classroom pet. They look like full-on like domestic pet, like the dog, you know? Yeah, the Clefairy. And yeah. they don't have the kind of dangers that, like, say, a Charmander would with catching fire uh, to your house. Yeah, well, they do know Metronome, though, so they could summon literally any move. I think they could be a fun magic show. Like, let's go see what hmm. the Clefairy does on stage this week. But I feel like they could also be useful to insomniacs who want help getting to sleep. Oh. Oh, because they learned saying. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. And also, they don't draw on your face the way Jigglypuff did when you <laughs> fall asleep. That's so true. Yeah. Bless you, Jiggles. Uh, I can't wait to talk about her next week. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. 
So now for my favorite section. Mon Appetit, baby. Like my personal recommendation. All right, so I'll start off this week. I'm going to go very simple, following in line with my Mon's world of the Nidoran family kind of being, uh, you know, trophy game. I would just go with a nice Nido King flank steak. I would pair it with a full body, robust Merlot with just some solid legs. Mm. Um, and that'd just be, I think, you know, a little bit of steak frite, maybe a mashed potato on the side, garlic mashed potato on the side. Mm. That's my dinner for the night. Uh, for me, Nidoran would make a great rabbit stew because, I mean, he's purely, I mean, he looks like a rabbit. I'm going to make him a rabbit stew. But uh, for me, Nido Reno and Nido Rina uh, and uh, up uh, onward, there's obviously some rhino in their gene pool. Like, they're very perverse, depraved gene pool. And I'd probably poach them and turn them into medicine for very superstitious rich people who use alternative medicine. Like, yeah. I mean, that happens. We know that. They always poach rhinos in, like, uh, really? Africa to, for... I don't know, to cure infertility or sterility or something like that. Sorry, you just mentioned the rabbit stew, though. It did make me think of Fatal Attraction and the rabbit stew. <laughs> okay. So Glenn Close is boiling in Excuse around. me while I cross my legs at Brett first. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing you're wearing pants. Isn't that Basic Instinct? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I'm mixing up my movie references. Yeah. Yeah, my bad. No, Fatal Attraction is the bunny. Uh, so in the Pokemon world, Fatal Attraction, Glenn Close boils a Nidoran. Okay, then. Yeah. Well... I'm going to pick something different than all of you. I'm just going to put it this way. Clefairies taste like marshmallows. Are we going to roast that Clefairy over an open fire, friend? No, I think you just, like, you cook it a little, you cut it up, and you've got, like, nice marshmallow meat. Looks like it tastes like mm. candy. Yeah. yeah. I think caramel-covered Clefairy. Ooh. There we go, like a candy good. Clefairy. Yeah. Candy. Well, folks... Darling has managed to survive yet another episode with me, and I'd like to thank Brett for joining us. Brett, do you have anything you uh, want to share with the listeners in terms of where they can find you or follow you or anything like that? Any plugs, um, Brett? Just, I mean, if you try to follow me on uh, Twitter, I'll add you. Just request it, but it's at uh, Brett under, underscore uh, Fujioka as my Twitter, Twitter handle. Um, and we'll very likely have Brett back for future episodes, but we're going to rotate that third chair a little bit for the coming weeks. More on that, but for now, next week, we'll be going through four families of Pokemon, just to kind of, uh, because they're dual-stage families. We'll be going through the Vulpix line, the Jigglypuffs, the Zubat, and the Oddish line, so look out for that. It's going to be a biggie. It's going to be fun. Mm. Yep. And just a reminder that after this episode, we're going to a bi-weekly publishing schedule, so we'll be sticking to that moving forward, except for bonus episodes, which will fit in the odd weeks between. So, yeah, I've got nothing else to add. No, I've got nothing to plug, so... Well, I'll tell you what. I'm Inato Blue. I'm still Michael Darling. I'm Brett Fujioka. Thanks for being here for another episode of Mon Men. We get